0: My first completion um, as a college player was actually to Coach Price. I was so fired up, I threw it out route on the sidelines and hit my coach. <laughs> awesome. That's fantastic.
1: <laughs> this podcast is presented by Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow, overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa is proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. Welcome back to Beyond the X's and O's and today's episode we sit down with uh True Bled Soap and there is so much here. All right, where do we start? He grows up in a small town in Walla Walla. Um dad's a football coach. Talks about that experience, uh what it was like in Walla Walla. Uh is the only show in town, the only high school um like old school Americana football movie type stuff as he explained it. Uh really didn't jump onto the recruiting scene until his senior year. Uh, why he chose Washington State uh, first time he gets on a football, on a, sorry, on a plane is to go to University of Miami on a trip because uh, he wanted to go on a plane and go see, go see the U. Um, how about this? His first completion in college football was in a JV game. Yes, in 1990, they played JV football games and they would go play against the local um, community colleges. That's his first completion. And then that same week. He plays in the second half of the USC game in the Coliseum and he talks about what it felt like to be in the Coliseum, being a small town kid and looking up the jumbotron and seeing himself on the field. The journey of being the first pick of the draft. Uh, How about this? I think people forget this about Bledsoe. Three of his coaches, Bill Parcells, Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick. Hmm, Pretty interesting. He talks about how they're very different. But the similarities that they all share, and while they're all, why they all will be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he talks about why the Patriots' success has been so sustainable. Uh, obviously, we talk about Tommy, all you Tom Brady freaks out there. Yes, we talk about Tommy Brady a little bit. Uh, he talks about his hardest moment in the NFL. Is really, really open and and honest about it. Uh, we talk about his beautiful family, his four kids. Um, but I think the, the most fun part of this uh, is when he talks at the end about his high school football coaching experience. Uh, he coached his boys, but also just was the offense coordinator and quarterback coach at a high school and, and how rewarding that has been to him. And that obviously speaks to me as a high school coach now. And then I love the winery stuff. If you don't know about Double Back Winery, um, you need to look it up. Um, Drew Bledsoe has established himself as one of the premier wine um, growers uh, in the in the industry, winemakers in the industry. And he talks a lot about the parallels between uh, quarterbacking an NFL team and running a highly, highly successful business. And it's really fascinating uh, to hear his take on that. I learned a lot from this pod. I think you'll learn a lot from this pod and come away with some really, really great stories as well. Uh, so let's get let's jump in with uh, my dear friend Drew Bledsoe. Well, excited to have Drew Bledsoe on the pod today. Uh, one, a great player, and we'll get into all about his career and I grew up. But a better person, I've gotten to know Drew over the years, and just a fantastic human being, awesome dad, uh, awesome father, and can't wait to spend the next. Forty-five minutes to hour, hearing about his story, Drew. Thanks for being on. Right
0: back at you, big fellow, man. It's just been—it's uh, been amazing to watch what you've done, obviously, in your career. But then the impact you've had post career, man, has been uh, has been even bigger. And I know we'll talk about it more. But uh, even though you're—I mean, we're both pretty good players, but uh, man, um, you know, at the end of at the end of, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, the, the the big man upstairs doesn't want to see your stat line. Uh, he wants to know who you impacted in the world, man. And you're you're winning on that front.
1: Isn't it funny, though? I've never started with a guest this way, but I'm going to pivot a little bit because of what you just said. Isn't it? I get asked this. I'm sure you do, too. Like, tell me about your career. And I think our careers were so important and they shaped who we are and they gave us great opportunities and gave us platforms, yada, yada, yada. But don't you find yourself talking more about parenting and your marriage and what you're doing with you the winery and uh, just the post career stuff more than you do that the actual football career stuff
0: so- oh 100% 100% you know and, and and we you know we're and we are both are and should be you know rightfully proud of what we accomplished on the field but uh, but man the stuff that uh, that we've been able to do off the field that we've been able to use our platforms to uh, to you know influence and then when you start talking about your kids shoot I know your girls are absolutely smoking it on the volleyball court. I've got one buddy whose whose daughter's playing volleyball. and He's like, "Oh, you're going to talk to Dilfer, dude. His girls are the real deal, you know." And so you find out, you know, you end up bragging about your kids and and uh, talking about what's going on. And then, you know, and then I know we're going to talk about coaching high school football, but you know, it's I haven't been doing that now for a few years. I did it for six, but man, now you get to see the real impact of that, you know, now these guys come back and they want to tell you all about what they're doing in their work lives now that they're graduated from college. Um, I even had one of them buy me a beer, if you can believe that. Um, and so, you know, it's just like, uh, so yeah, man, you're absolutely right. You know, the football stuff was, was amazing, but the uh, the stuff that we've had the privilege of being able to do off the field uh, after the game uh, has been far more gratifying.
1: Hey, Amen. You said it perfectly. All right, well, we start with each guest this way, and I think it's been a really fun way to start I want to know all about your high school football experience, your high school athletic experience, your high school experience in general. But specifically, take me through that first start at Walla Walla High School. You're the first time you ever started at quarterback. And then can you remember your first touchdown pass and the play, the play call, what it looked like, the feeling you had? Uh, Take me just through that experience.
0: Well, you know, you and I talked offline earlier about, uh, you know, these kids when they grow really fast and they kind of look like a baby giraffe and try to, you know, try to figure out where all your body parts are and all that stuff. That was me, man. I was skinny, I had big feet, big hands, uh, uh, shockingly a big head too. Uh, matter of fact, when I first started playing seventh grade football, our, our school colors were white and red. So we were white pants, red jerseys, white helmet. Uh, they didn't have a helmet at the middle school that would fit me. So I had to wear a blue helmet from the high school. So I looked like a giant pencil with a big eraser on top of it when I first got going. So, you know, if you'd seen me back to back, you know, early on, man, you would not have said, hey, that guy's going to be an NFL football player. You're like, hey, kid, you better do well in school because this is not for you. Um uh, <laughs> But my, my first my first start though in, in high school was my sophomore year is halfway through the season and it was uh, it was not a great one bud <laughs> it was uh, we played Bora High School from Boise Idaho they were way better than we were uh, I did end up throwing a, a you know a couple of touchdown passes late uh, but then I ended up in the hospital later that night um, with a uh, I ended up having a bruised liver of all things no um, way. Which, uh, they, which they said that uh, normally you only see a bruised liver uh, in bad car accidents. And it's one of like the fourth or fifth injuries. But the funny story about that is my dad was coaching and I'm a sophomore, I'm 15 and I'm out there and I get hit in the stomach like hard, you know, I, mean, I was hurt. I was, you know, I was, couldn't catch my breath. And I looked over at the sideline and it was like, Oh man, I, I don't know if I'm going to die or live. And I looked over at my dad and he looks at me, he goes, get up. I'm like, okay, I guess I just got to get up and go back to the huddle, even though. And then later that night, I think you did feel a little guilty when I ended up in the hospital later that night with a bruised liver. So it wasn't my my first start was not the best one, but.
1: All right, I'm going to interject there real quick because this just happened to me. <laughs> so we're at the Elite Eight the other night in Louisville, and Tori, my middle daughter at Louisville, uh, they're playing Georgia Tech, and they're in the. They win the first, they lose the second set. They're in the third set, and Tori's playing right back defense and their monster hits a bomb and it hits Tori right in the Adam's apple, like right in the throat. Oh no. And she yep. goes down. And my first instinct was I kind of, I'm at the, I'm on the edge seat and I look out and I see her down there and I yell and the the auditorium freedom hall is silent. I go, get up now. <laughs> 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 I am so glad she never bruised liver. I felt Yeah, horrible. No,
0: I, I I know. I know. It's just like it's yeah, you know that every once in a while that competitive guy that we were when we were uh, when we were playing uh sometimes uh, carries over onto the uh onto the field and I um and my, you know my wife's right here so she'll uh, she probably won't like that I say this but you know we get to find out about how competitive our wives are in those situations too. Yes, we do. <laughs> uh, yes. Which is uh you know, they're just absolute sweethearts, and uh, and Mars, an absolute sweetheart, and I know your wife is too. But then all of a sudden, you know, you, you watch you, you sit there next to him with these games, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you see the tiger come out in them too. It's pretty funny. Sorry, babe, it's true, it's true.
1: It is. I mean, I, everybody expects me to be this like hard ass dad, mean to my daughters, and I don't really say a lot, but Cass, my wife, she's the assassin, she's the one yeah. that's like. It is mm-hmm. hair on our arms is standing up and it is life yeah. or death. Every single
0: point They're they're more competitive than us. I, I know. Isn't it funny? I, I love it though. That's why we, that's part, one of the many, one of the many reasons we married them.
1: Exactly. Let's get back to Walla Walla high. Uh, what was a Friday night? Like, um, I know both your parents are educators and I want you to talk about that, but like, what was the Friday night vibe? What was, or Saturday morning? I know my high school sometimes played on Saturday mornings. What was that game day vibe at Walla Walla high?
0: man it was the coolest I mean you know it's like true you know small town America Americana the Friday night lights that was the biggest event in Walla Walla you know of the week Borleski Stadium you know with the with the lights going and and of course we had to play on the old baseball diamond because our you know, our field was uneven and all that stuff but <laughs> um, but you know it was uh, it was it was interesting we had uh, after I got um, Drafted. We had one of those one of the sports writers from Boston came out. My dad was still coaching at, at, at Wahai, Walla Walla High School, Wahai, go Blue Devils.
1: Uh, go.
0: and he and he flew out from Boston and spent um, a Friday with my dad uh, as he was going to coach high school football. I think they went to go play the Eisenhower cadets in Yakima. He rode on the school bus with them and he came back and he was like, Man, I didn't know that still existed in America. You know, I mean and this is all the way back in you know, ninety-three. Um, and it's still that way today. But he was like, "Man, I, that was like going into a movie, you know, about small town American football." And that's really what it was like for us, man. And it was just awesome. And you know, one of the coolest things that I remember too, because I got to, as my dad was coaching, I got to be a part of it when I was younger, and then when I got to actually play. But we'd all go, always go practice under the lights on Thursday night too. And so oh, that buildup cool. would start. That buildup would start on Thursday, and then Friday you wake up, and you know, you know you. Put on your good sneakers and your uh, your game jersey, and uh, go to school in your game jersey. The cheerleaders would always, you know, bring something and decorate your locker and get you uh, yeah. all dialed in for the game. And we didn't get to know who they were until the end of the season. So they would come in really early, and so you come in and your locker's all decorated. Um, man, it was a it was a big deal, and it was a ton of fun. Man, it was so fun.
1: That is really cool. Now, how many paint even a, a clearer picture for? People that are watching that have no idea what that small town looks like. How many people in the city?
0: About thirty thousand. You know, so okay. we had really had one high school for the for the city, so there was only one show in town. Um, and uh, you know, we were we played in the top division in Washington, but we were one of the smaller schools in the top division, so we were kind of the perennial underdog. You know, it was not exactly a, a pipeline to D one football. Matter of fact, I think I was the only D one scholarship guy, you know, in like a decade um, coming out of Wahai, but, uh, uh, but it was, you know, it was good football. We had fun and we, uh, and we got to chuck it around pretty good, but I mean, we'd have 5,000 people show up at a game. So, you know, 20% of the population or whatever that percentage is would actually show up on Friday nights, so, you wow. know, so the whole city would come out, man. It was really, really fun.
1: That's incredible to on road trips. You guys have like the yellow school buses and they'd put like the paper up, go blue devils on the side, like caravan off to the road game, that type of deal
0: absolutely Now yeah, you have the, the router bus that would follow the school bus and, and uh, that we were on and uh, we had to travel far but uh you know we were we, we had our, our league we had you know schools that were an hour away two schools that were three hours away one that was four hours away in our league we actually had one school that was five hours away so we spent a lot wow. of time on those yellow school buses
1: that's incredible now I know this too I and we talk a lot about this on this pod is kind of the um, dual sport or in your case you were football, basketball, and track and field. So three sports. Um, one, tell me a little bit about your experience as a basketball player. I know you th- you were in all the throwing events as a track star, but like, what did that do to your competitive nature? What lessons did that teach you? What values did that create and who you were as a football
0: player? Well, I mean, the, th- the first thing I remember is that there was never downtime. You know, football season mm-hmm. ended um, and basketball season had already started. So, you know, last, last game, you know, playoff game, you know, season ends you're sad but then you know that's on friday and uh monday you're lacing up your basketball shoes and 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 going to work and and uh the funny thing for me though being you know being the the, uh, princess quarterbacks that we are um was that on the basketball court um i was actually the enforcer i was the guy that would come in and get the hard fouls and and uh you know come in and foul their best player a couple times and go sit back down um you know get my get, get my get my my Six to eight points, my uh, four fouls, and my uh, eight rebounds, and go sit back down and cheer on the guys that can actually really play the game. Uh, but it was just kind of funny being the uh, the princess quarterback, and all of a sudden the basketball court—you know—you switch roles, and you're the guy that's the enforcer.
1: But don't you think that's important? I, you know, we've been doing this Elite Eleven thing for a long time, and uh, now coaching high school football, and 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 I'm not saying they're wrong if they don't play another sport, but I think there's such value in being what you just said, like. Mark Sanchez talked about it. He, he said it perfectly. You know, he's a superstar. He's one of the first, like, ranked quarterbacks when they had the star system came out. But then he would go to his basketball team, which was awesome. I mean, they were unbelievable. And he was the seventh guy. And what he yeah. learned about being the seventh guy, and he's not the lead dude. He does He's not maybe the voice in the locker room. He's a role player. And how much he learned from that. Did you kind of have a similar experience going from being the dude on friday nights and now you're just a guy that's part of the team it's a, it's a different vibe and you and you use sorry you learn different lessons
0: oh absolutely you learn so much by playing multiple sports and you're right it's not you know i'm not gonna say right or wrong or indifferent but i you know especially when kids are young uh man try everything you know i mean yeah. shoot you know um, you know you never know where that where those gifts might lie you know we were you know, we were talking about our, our, our good buddy uh, Rick's son, uh, Charlie, who's uh, one of the top quarterbacks in California, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. But, um, but baseball might be his best sport, you know. Uh, and uh, so I, I always encourage kids to play multiple sports. As a matter of fact, at the high school when I was coaching, um with certain criteria to get your name on the back of your jersey you know it had to be gpa you had to do community service you had to make all the workouts and all that stuff but one of the five criteria was you had to play another sport you know and we just felt like it was so important and you know it didn't mean you had to go be a star at something but you had to go do something else rather than just being a football only guy in order to get your name on your jersey
1: Well, I'm going to steal that. We are writing that down right now in the office as something to do to incentivize our guys to get the name on the back of their jersey. All right. So uh, you mentioned the first D1 guy out of your high school um, in like a decade. Talk me through when that started, when the recruiting process started for you. What was your first offer? Uh, And people got to remember, we're the same age, right? You're a class of 90?
0: Class of 90, yep.
1: Yeah, you were class of We were both class of 90. You never redshirted. I redshirted. That's why I was a year behind you in the draft, I believe. Um, So back then, talk me through the recruiting
0: process. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, compared to today, man, it was the dark ages. You know, know, I started to get some recognition my junior year, I think, as much as anything, just because I was, you know, I had the size and, um, you know, and I could throw it pretty hard. Um, but, you know, it was certainly far before, you know, I don't think I got like a, I don't even know when I got like my first official offer. I don't, I mean, it just, it was just sort of like they sort of started trickling in. Um, but that wasn't until like senior year, you know, like it was not, you know, Hey, this kid's a freshman and he's got four offers. Like, no, that just didn't, at least for me, that didn't happen, you know, back then. And in order to be recruited, because I was out there in the middle of nowhere in southeastern Washington, you know, I had to push pretty hard. I remember Dad sitting, Dad and I sitting down there. We borrowed another VCR from a friend, and we're down there actually like dubbing, you know, tape from one VCR to the other to put together some highlights that, that we could then go send around. But once we sent the started sending the tapes around, you know my uh, um, you know my senior year. Matter of fact, the only uh, the only place I, that I really wanted to. At least be recruited by that. That that didn't was UCLA. Um, they had Tommy Maddox uh, yep. at the time. It was a year a year ahead of you and me, and so they did not recruit a quarterback that year. My dad actually got a nice letter from uh, uh, from Terry uh, Donahue uh, a number of years later. God rest his soul, Terry. I know he was a great man um but my dad got a nice letter from him just saying hey we wish we would have recruited your kid <laughs> we should have offered him but it was uh yeah man it was it was it was so different for us man I don't know what was it like down there in Cali I mean you you at least had you know some more action around you weren't stuck in truly in the middle of nowhere
1: well no doubt I don't think I've ever told you the story I have a couple stories I'm gonna tell you in the in the midst of this this is one of them so before our senior year we went to Cal camp and at Cal Camp, if you remember, I don't know if you remember these names. You obviously remember Steve Stenstrom. Um, yep. He was in our class. Uh, Danny Kinnick is that his name? Tommy Kinnick. Tommy Kinnick. He was up from in Oregon, right, and ended up going to Stanford.
0: Yep. yep. They went went? To Stanford. They both, yeah. we yep. both went to Stanford. both. Yeah. They both went to Tommy's, Stanford. went to Tommy's, Tommy's still a good friend, by the way. He beat me out at quarterback in seventh grade. Tommy no did. way. Yeah. He was at. He, he, he was at Walla Walla High School. Tommy was um, and uh, I ended up playing tight end my seventh grade year. And then he moved away starting eighth grade. Otherwise, man, I probably would have been a tight end and I uh, would have had to have a real job. Um, okay. But so thankfully, this, Tom, Tommy moved away.
1: This is all going to make sense. And then Dave Barr, uh, who yep. ended up going to Cal. And there was a yep. couple other guys. A guy, I think last name Fisher was in our class, went to Duke. Uh, a couple other guys. Well, we go to Cal camp and you weren't there, obviously. And, you know, the scuttlebutt, who's the best guy here? And they called Stenstrom L.A. Guns because he he had the long hairs from Southern California. Wow. Right. Uh, Dave Barr shredded it. There was 14 quarterbacks there. I was number 14. I got moved after the first workout to wide receiver and ended up getting MVP of the camp at wide receiver. And Dave Barr blew up the camp and got the ride to Cal. But in the midst of this you were a topic of conversation because we heard about this kid up in Eastern Washington that was better than Tommy Kinnett. Um, and, and that was like the big thing. Like neither of you guys were there, but you guys were the dudes. And I didn't even pay attention to it because I knew I was chicken scratch and they moved me to wide receiver. They didn't even look, they never even looked at me uh, at Cal. So in fact, I got, my recruiting was mainly, um, tight end linebacker. I had Oregon, Cal, Stanford until I beat up Jeremy Green, Denny Green's son in a basketball game. And that ended the Stanford dream. Um, but I was being <laughs> more recruited as an athlete than I was a quarterback because um, I, you know, you might have been skinny. I was 6'4, 225 and ran 4'6. So I was more the athlete than I was the quarterback when I went to Fresno. So, but I, I never told you that story that you guys were like, had the separate aura up. These Northwest quarterbacks were better than the California quarterbacks that year. Dave Barr was in my in my office a few times this year here in Nashville. Uh, he lives out here, and we were talking old war stories about that camp. So it's fun to connect with that recruiting class. But my recruiting in California was nothing because I really wasn't that good. But for the Stenstroms and for those guys in Southern California. Uh, it was a big deal. They, just, they were able to go to camps that I didn't go to. They were, be, they were able to be seen. And those guys were getting offers in their junior year. Uh, for me and some of the other guys, we didn't get them until our senior year.
0: Oh, right on. Right on. Yeah, we That's were kind of stuck out in the middle. Of, no, we were stuck out in the middle of nowhere. But that was pretty funny that Tommy and I were, we were, and we're still great friends, by the way. He's, he's a professor up there in um, Santa Barbara, some small school up there. But uh yeah we're still great friends. He was in my wedding.
1: Really? I didn't know you guys were that close. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we were uh same we were teammates in 7th grade at, Pi- at Pioneer uh, Pioneer Junior High and then uh <clears throat> Tommy moved away and then when we were coming out, you know, we ended up being you know, two of the top guys on the West Coast and, and we both played for the Pie High 49ers. That's amazing. Back in the day when I was wearing that, when I was wearing the blue helmet and looked like a big pencil with a that, with an eraser on top, he was the quarterback
1: that's awesome all right so just take me through why washington state take me through kind of what took you there and then we'll get to our first break
0: yeah no my uh the the four schools that i I did only taken four trips uh i went to washington university of washington uh washington state uh took a trip to stanford and then i took a trip to miami because dennis erickson had been at washington state so he was in my neighborhood um I think we all knew I wasn't going to go to Miami. Uh, but certainly as a small town kid from Walla Wall, I wasn't going to turn down a trip to South beach, um, uh, you know, in the middle of the winter. Matter of fact, I think that might've been the first time I was ever on an airplane. If you can believe that we really? just did not fly with, 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 you know, with two uh, school teachers for parents, our vacations were always in a station wagon. And I think the first time I ever was on an airplane was when I flew to Miami for my recruiting trip, which was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, and, I, and you know, what it came down to for me was it was, uh, was a coach. You know, Mike Price was the coach of Washington State, and he's still a great friend to this day. And, you know, he came down to, to, to see us, and, you know, it was like he became a family member almost right away. And, you know, that recruiting process is always kind of funny. My parents really let me make my own decision, obviously, but when he <laughs> sat down at the dinner table and my mom immediately fell in love with him, um, you know, I mean, we all trust our moms in those situations, <laughs> whether they say anything or you just read body language. Um, but no, Mike Price was the was the reason that I went to Washington State and ended up having a great experience with him.
1: When we come back from break, we're gonna talk about Coach Price, the legend he is, the connective the connective tissue he still has with the players he coaches and Drew's incredible career at Wazo. We'll be right back. This podcast is presented by Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow, overcoming the odds, rewriting the playbook, delivering under pressure. The MVPs of small business lead their teams to victory all year long. Visa's proud to provide playmakers everywhere with more tools to help grow their businesses and help them achieve even greater success. Because the more people we can empower, the more we all win. Visa, a network giving small businesses tools to grow. All right, back with Drew Bledsoe. And I told you over the break, I'm just going to tee up and let you go as long as you want, (laughs) say whatever you want. But Coach Price is a legend um every player that's ever played for him that I've gotten to know uh can't stop talking about him so here's your opportunity to brag on coach Mike Price.
0: Yeah, you know, coach Price, I think above all else, coaches always talk about when um uh, when you're being recruited that um they care more about you off the field than they do on the field and it's it's a that's a mantra from all coaches that you that you hear. Very few of them actually really mean that, you know, quite honestly. Um, you know, you and especially and I think it's changed even now where a lot of times players become kind of commodities. Coach Price was one of those guys that really meant it. And uh, he's still a great friend to this day, to not only to me, but to my family. Uh, he's a guy that I talked to two or three times a year um, and uh, is still just a great friend to this day. You know, as a matter of fact, when I made the decision, you know, to uh, to leave early for the draft, I sat down with my family, but I also sat down with him. Uh, and as the coach at Washington State, you know it's better for him if I come back and play for him for another year. But we sat down, and he goes, "Yeah, no, I think it, I think it's the right time. I think you should go ahead and go. That's what's best for you." Um, and did not push me to try and stay for another year. He knew what was best for me, and put that ahead of what was better for Washington State or better for him as uh, personally. So, uh, just a, a truly great person. Left Washington State, had the unfortunate situation at Alabama. Had he stayed at Alabama, he you know, would probably be one of the, you know, go down as one of the all-time great coaches ever. You know, when he got fired there before they even played a season, before they even played a game, his players who had only been with him for a few months got up and cried. uh, And they hadn't even played a game for the guy yet. Um, And then uh, um, actually ended up down at UTEP for a little while. And of all places, he was actually able to take UTEP to some bowl games. And I don't know that uh, UTEP has been to very many bowl games in the history of their program. Uh, But he's just a wonderful human uh, and is doing great uh, living up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. uh, I still see him pretty frequently.
1: That's amazing. Where'd you start on the depth chart? I'm just
0: curious when you got to Washington State. Uh, I was three uh, at the start of the season. There were two quarterbacks that had played the year before, Brad Gosson and Aaron Garcia. Aaron went on to be one of the greatest arena football players of all time. Um, but they both had played and, and, uh, had, had done well the year before, but, uh, kind of midway through the season, um, you know, got the call from, uh, from coach price that, uh, that I was going to, they were going to play me. (laughs) So funny story. We had, we had JV games back then, right? You could go play a JV game and we'd go, we would take a JV team and we would go play against the, uh, the, the, uh, community colleges in the Northwest. We went to play, we went to play Walla Walla community college. In Walla Walla of all places. So I was back on the same field that I played on in high school, um, against the community college. We had a bye week and he came and he told me, he goes, all right, you're going to, uh, you're going to go ahead and play the JV game down at, uh, down in Walla Walla. Um, and then, um, we're going to start you second half, uh, of the, um, uh, of the uh, USC game. So we went down to USC, and it was set up before the game. That's coming out of the second half. I was going to, uh, I was going to um, start the second half, and and uh, came out and proceeded to throw my first pass, uh, my first completion uh, as a college player was actually to Coach Price. I was so fired up, I threw an out route on the sidelines and hit my coach. <laughs> awesome, that's fantastic. And, 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 uh, went on to play the rest of the game, and uh, and then uh, started the next week against the Beavers at Oregon State, and then uh, you know started the rest of the way.
1: That's incredible. What were the nerves like for that first start?
0: Oh, dude, man, it was such a trip, Trent. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, small town kid, and all of a sudden I'm in the Coliseum, right, the L.A. Coliseum, and I remember so distinctly running out onto the field, and I dreamed about that moment for so long. Uh, I mean, I was only 18, but, you know, you, but for most of my life, I dreamed about, you know, playing big time football. And so I felt like I was in a dream. Like I, I didn't feel like it was real as I was running on the field. And all of a sudden I looked up and on the jumbotron at the end of the stadium, I could see myself on this big screen. And that's when I flashed back, like, oh, this is actually happening. Like you're actually doing this. This isn't the dream that you've had forever and ever. You're actually on this field now. So you better tighten it up and get ready to play. That's incredible.
1: And you guys had a pretty innovative offense. I mean, this is 1991, correct? This is the fall of 1991. It was
0: 1990. Now, 90, sorry, 1990, fall of 1990.
1: Fall, fall, fall. Yes, fall of 1990. I mean, it was still two-back offense for the most part and run-run play action, third and 12, max protect, drop back and throw three-man combos between your X, Y, and Z. But you guys, if I remember correctly, and I could be a little wrong here, but you guys are a little more innovative, more of an 11 team, spread people out a little bit, put an extra receiver on the field, had some different combinations of two by two sets. Uh, am I correct there? Like you guys are a little more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Man, we,
0: we were we were uh, we were among the first to uh, Coach Price was among the first to really start slinging it around. We yeah. were single back. We were single back almost exclusively. Uh, and then we would uh, we would a big part of our offense was to motion to empty. So we were empty a bunch, you know, back yeah. in 1990, uh, and, uh, slinging it around. And, um, it was a lot of fun, man. We were, uh, we were throwing it before throwing. It was cool. Yeah. Well, speaking
1: of throwing it, I, I, I get asked all the time what's my favorite football game I ever played in. And I always refer to our matchup in Fresno. Yeah. By the way, you're the only person ever beat me at home in my college career.
0: Oh, um, is that right?
1: Yeah, one loss at Bulldog
0: Stadium. You know, World we need we need to we need to uh, we need to sit down sometime, have a couple beers, and put that game on because uh, I think if I remember right, I think there were four lead changes in the last two minutes.
1: Yes, I mean and it was it
0: was a true shootout.
1: Uh, it was insane. It was like now we see it what twenty five times a weekend now. So I think the modern day football audience would be like, eh, that looks like a typical Thursday night ESPN game or Saturday game or Sunday game. But back then. It was incredible. I don't know what the final score was. I think I know you guys ended up with more than us. Uh, and you threw, you dropped a dime in man coverage. The lat when you finally got the ball back at the very end to beat us. Um, but I, that was one of the funnest games I'd ever played in. And for me, you were way more established than I was at that point. And for me, it was like, okay, that's the big dog. That's the guy I'm chasing. I need to match oh, him yeah. blow for blow. And uh, I just think, I don't know why I even brought that up, except that uh, in my memory bank, right, you play all these years of college football, you play all these games in the NFL, you have your high school experience. Of all the games I played in, that is probably the most um, memorable memorable in terms of what it did for me
0: as a player, even though we lost. 100%, man. And it was uh, was truly, you know, you hear people say whoever had the ball last was going to win. That's one of those games. Whoever had the ball last was going to win that game, and thankfully we had it last. Uh, but I remember, you know, giving you a hug after the game, and I, you said something about we'll see you in the show or something cocky like that. I don't. But, but I was the uh, worst. But it was. But it was. But it was. Uh, but it was. But it was, but, it was tr- but it was true. It was like yeah, no, like because I, I think you know. I hadn't said it out loud, and I hadn't made the decision yet. But I think everybody kind of figured I was probably going to jump, and uh, and then uh, the you know the next year you were that guy, and uh, you know I knew about you coming into the game, but man, uh, that was that was a game when I oh no this guy this this guy's actually got something man he uh, um, you know he's going to be a dude. <laughs> that was
1: crazy. What um what was like in your college career? Because you you had a I mean. You really had this like dream college career. You start as a freshman halfway through your freshman year. You leave after three years. You're the first pick of the draft. You had to have gone through some bit of adversity in college. And maybe it was off the field. Maybe it was on the field. I don't know what it was, but I got to believe something was really, really hard in your college career.
0: Can you enlighten us on that? Well, the first one was um, my freshman year when they decided I was going to be the starter. Okay. um because you had Brad Gosson was a fifth year senior uh Aaron was a redshirt sophomore so he'd been there three years Goose had been there for five years and the great guys man and they'd played their asses off and they were really good to me i mean it was it was not like they were not being divisive but the team was really divided into three camps you know you had like oh, the wow. freshmen that were my class that you know were you know had my back and then you had You know, Aaron had his guys that that he came in with that really thought he should have been the starter all along. And then Goose had all the old guys. Um, And, you know, so for me, man, that was the first time I was like, wow, okay, well, I'm going to be the guy here ahead of these these guys that I really respect. Um, And trying to figure out as an 18-year-old, you know, how to navigate that kind of situation was really the first one. And then quite honestly, man, my second. So that first year we finished three and eight. The next year we were four and seven. I mean, we weren't winning a bunch. You know, I I, uh, think my sophomore year, that's the, uh, I think the only Pac-10 record, now the Pac-12 record that I still own, um, I think, um, or uh, the most times ever sacked in a season. I think I got sacked 56 times. I got sacked 56 times in 11 games. So we weren't exactly stalwarts up front. The next year we had a pretty good offensive line. Um, But no, I got my ass knocked off my sophomore year. Uh, and then uh, my uh, my junior year, um, we came back and that's when we uh, that's when we were better, you know, finished. I think we finished eight and three or something like that or nine. Well, that and three. Is,
1: that makes a lot of sense because losing is hard, <laughs> right? I mean, we forget. Sometimes we make this game so complicated. Losing football games is hard. And I always say this is it's exponentially harder than losing a basketball game or a baseball game or a soccer game because you got to wait an entire week and eat it for a week. Right, as a quarterback, you're basically eating that losing sandwich for a week because regardless of what the reasons are, you
0: take the brunt of it. No question, man. It all falls. It all falls on your shoulders.
1: Yep, and all those coaches in the office finding a way to blame you. And no player wants to take the responsibility, even though he missed six assignments and dropped two balls or missed nine tackles. Somehow, it's the quarterback's fault. So losing is hard. So just the fact that you have the divided camp as a freshman with guys that are good dudes and older and then you didn't win a lot your first couple of years I I can now understand how that hardened you
0: yeah no it did you know and you and you you know I mean of all the attributes it takes to be uh, uh, a successful quarterback uh, being able to deal with that adversity and come back and go the next play the next game and uh, man that's way at the top of that list and I know you mentor all these these quarterbacks coming through and you know, the physical attributes are pretty, you know, if you're going to list things that, that allow a quarterback to be successful, man, the uh, being able to throw it hard is probably like number seven. Uh, you know, I don't know where you where you put it on the list, but it's way down there. Um, but right at the very, very top of that list is the resiliency, you know, and, the, and being able to control your emotions and come back and go whether the last play last game was great or bad. You got to be able to go forward every single, every single series, every single play, every single game. You know, and I know you see these guys come through all the time. That man, um, you know, you put them in shorts and go play catch. Like, dude, that guy's a dude. That guy looks special. And then all of a sudden, they never end up showing up because they can't handle that adversity. They can't deal with the inevitable failure that comes with playing quarterback, and also can't can't then deal with as you said. Sometimes it's not your fault, but you still have to wear it because you're that guy. And uh, guys that aren't able to stand up underneath that pressure are just never going to make it regardless of what they look like in shorts playing catch.
1: Amen. And I'm actually going to add a little commentary to that before we go to our second break. Um, It's been amazing. I mean, we've had the greatest that ever lived on this show. You being one of them, not one time. Has a young or an Aikman or a Favre or a Bledsoe mentioned in their journey? Oh man, my arm was awesome. Right. Or I could <laughs> yeah. throw it better than the next guy. We all know we could. Right. But not once has mm-hmm. that come up in all the, I think this is episode 20 now. And not mm-hmm. one time had the best of the best that have ever lived put throwing a football higher than what you just put it at seven. And yet, we go to these recruiting services and yet guys are still getting recruited on how they spin it. Now I say, this, you have to throw it well enough. You have to be big enough. You have to be athletic enough. You have to be tough enough. You have to have enough traits, but you just said it perfectly. It's all the other stuff. Um, it's the intangible stuff. I always say, it's maybe the hardest thing in my experience and you tell me it, you can agree or disagree here. I thought the hardest thing wasn't the media. I thought the hardest thing, whether it was high school, college, or the NFL, was walking into the locker room after a, the next day after a loss. So not immediately after the loss, but the next day after loss, after everybody had read everything, after everybody made all their excuses, after everybody had found a way to blame you, whether you played good or bad, you walked in that locker room the next day and every eye was on you on how you were going to react because you're eating the crap sandwich. Is that kind of fair to say?
0: Oh, totally, man. You know, and then you, um, and then you, you know, you sit there with the entire offense and watch the film and the film don't lie, you know, uh, and uh, you know, you sit there and, and, you know, you make a, but you make a bad play and it's there for everybody to see and you got to wear it and you got to own it and you got to step up and say, yeah, man, um, the game would have gone different if I hadn't done that. Um, and you got of own it. And it's, yeah, and you're right. The outside stuff is one thing. You know, you can compartmentalize the outside stuff. They usually don't know what's going on anyway. Um, and, you know, I mean, you and I both played some pretty bad games that we won. Um, yes. And we both played some yes. great games where, where we where we lost. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you go in and you play your ass off and you don't win and you still have to wear it publicly. That's all outside. But if you come back in and even if you won the game and you go put on the film and like, man, I really played bad. but. Hey, thank you guys. You know, really pick me up. You know, um, but you know, you got to sit there with your teammates, and you got to wear it. And uh, you know, you're the one guy that touches the ball every single play, so it's a it's a heavy burden. And you can either stand up under it, or you got, or you hide from it. And if you hide from it, man, uh, it, it doesn't last very long. But you know, you think about. I mean, look at so you look at at at, uh, at Peyton for example. Late in his career, did he won a world championship? And Trent, you and I can both go out right now without warming up and throw it better than he could throw it when, at the end of his career. Like yep. I know, I know Elway had to have been just like sitting up there watching this, like, dude, I'm 54 years old. And I can go down and throw it better than Peyton can right now. But because he did all the other stuff and anticipation, leadership, you know, all of the real quarterback things, you know, the throwing thing was, was kind of secondary. Can you imagine how good uh, Peyton would have been if he could throw a spiral? Man. Oh my gosh. It would have been unbelievable.
1: He might've been a hall of Famer, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, he might have been pretty good (laughs) if he could have thrown a spiral. Uh, Peyton, I hope you listen to this someday. Uh, But, man, you would have been special if you could have thrown a spiral, bud.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So true. Well, that was awesome. we come back, I want to get into Drew's professional career. What he's doing post-career is amazing. And give him a great chance to talk about his incredible family. We'll be right back. Beyond the X's and O's is brought to you by State Farm. Just like State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your car insurance... I want to share with you a surprisingly great moment from my career, and it came from Super Bowl 35. And it came actually when I was playing terribly. I started off the game brutal, couldn't hit anything, missed Brandon Stokely wide open on a crossing route, Jabal Lewis in the flat. I didn't have enough energy. We're at a TV timeout, I'm sitting there in the huddle waiting for the play call to come in, and we substitute Sam Gash onto the field. And Sam Gash, my favorite teammates of all time, comes up to me grabs me by the chest plate and says, we need your juice. We need your energy. You're not yourself today. I said, you know what? You're right. And immediately I had that spark. The hair on my arms stood up. And that was the series through the first touchdown to Brandon Stokley of Super Bowl 35. And that's why I love the journey of the quarterback. There's so many surprisingly great lessons to be learned from this unique position. And remember, whether you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback or an armchair QB relaxing happily at home, State Farm provides coverage that meets your needs at a price that fits your budget. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, back with Drew Bledsoe. Talked about the high school experience, the college experience, a bunch of fun stories in between. And and Drew, we've been intentional on this show not to dive too deep into the NFL stuff. And here's why. Because you can watch your football life or get on wikipedia or read all the articles if you want to know about drew's incredible football career and all the stats and the four pro bowls and i think you were the youngest pro bowl uh quarterback at the time ever voted in in 95 i believe
0: uh it was yeah it was after the 94 season yeah yeah it was just a it was just a kid
1: yeah all these incredible accolades and i'll be the first to tell you as his peer as somebody played against him. And college and pro incredible player does not get enough credit. Well, I, I guess where I want to go with your NFL career is um, you had some unique coaches, right? So you had a very unique coaching tree that you played under. Uh, you've played with a bunch of hall of famers, um, but the journey of your NFL career, and this can be a little esoteric if you want, but like sure. just sum up the journey of of your NFL career, what you learned, how it applied to what mm-hmm. you're doing after football, uh, any funny stories within there that you don't get a chance to tell on ESPN or when you're doing an article? I just want to tee up and go and then I'll I'll pivot as you get to certain areas in your career. But I just want you to have the freedom to tell your NFL story Uh any way you want to tell it.
0: Well, the first thing that jumps to mind is, you know, look, I was 21 and, you know, end up in Boston, craziest sports town in America. Uh, and as a 21 year old, I'm installed as the figurehead and leader of a franchise. And, you know, I know you remember what that was like the first time you step in the huddle with a bunch of grown ass men yep. that have families and investment portfolios and yep. you step in the huddle and you're the guy that's got to lead these guys.
1: Well, crap. Some of them were smoking cigarettes at halftime. Let's not forget. This yeah. Is-
0: no, I, yeah, no, this is a little while ago, right? You know, there's still yes. ashtrays on the lockers and, uh, yep and i remember one time specifically my uh my rookie year so bruce armstrong was our left tackle and bruce is the mm-hmm. baddest dude on the planet he should be you talk about guys that should be in the hall of fame he's a guy that they, they should have they, they should have put in mm-hmm. um but uh um but bruce was the you know and he didn't talk to rookies um we're great friends now and we've been great friends for you know for many many years but man you talk about an intimidating dude um, and i stepped into the huddle and they, they, he was talking with some other guys and, and I stepped into the huddle. I was like, all right, shut up. And I remember, like, after the play, like, Pat Harlow, who was our right tackle, comes to me. He's like, dude, you just told Bruce to shut up. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is that is, is that bad? And he goes, well, I'm scared right now, and uh, you should be really scared. And uh, so Bruce comes, Bruce comes over to me, and he, he, like, puts his hand on my shoulder, and now I'm really scared. And uh, he goes, hey, I know what you're trying to do. But don't ever tell me to shut up again. Like, I, I, like, yes, sir, yes, sir, Mr. Armstrong. And then I had to go, you know, change my pants. Um, and and so you know, so you know, so, I mean, you, you know, you're in there, and all of a sudden, and so I mean, it was man, it was it was heady, crazy times. And and you know, the 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 nice thing, and the thing that I remember, and this is you know, advice that that I know you would uh, echo and share with any of these young guys that come in. The only way you do that is by doing the work. You know um you know the guys have to see your car there when they arrive in the morning your car's got to be there before everybody else and when they leave to go home your car's still got to be there uh, you know and even later in my career um you know sometimes it was you know I'd come in and have a cup of coffee and read the paper but everybody saw my car in the parking lot when they arrived and everybody saw my car was still there when they left um and so you know if you do the work and, and put it on the field and keep your mouth shut um you know then eventually you know after you know, a few years, you know, you get to a point where um, then you can be that voice and you can be that vocal leader. But man, you have to earn the right to do that when you step into a huddle like that. But yeah, man, my uh, the uh, coaches I had in uh, in New England, pretty crazy, right? Bill Parcells already in the Hall of Fame. Um, Pete Carroll will be in the Hall of Fame, uh, and then uh, and then Belichick I had Belichick for my last two years, and obviously, you know, he's arguably the get- best guy to ever do it. Um, so. The interesting thing, though, about those three guys is that their personalities outwardly were so different. You know, Parcells loved being in front of the media, just, like, loved berating people. And just, he was just mean as hell, you know, but just a big, big personality, all jersey. And um, <clears throat> and then you got Pete, who's kind of like West Coast positive, you know, upbeat guy, which the, the media in Boston kind of ate him up for, for that, especially following Parcells. And then we all know what Belichick, you know, is like, it's just all business. It's just, you know, it's, it's almost, almost robotic, Uh, at least like during the, uh, you know, it's just, it's just moving the chess pieces around and and there's not much emotion involved in it. But the interesting thing is that, that at at the core of those three guys who've all been great, they, they were all, it was all the same things. You know, it was attention to detail. It was working. It was, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. It was competing your ass off every day. You know, all of the values were the same, but they could not have been presented in more different ways. Um, you know, Parcells was actually pretty funny as long as he wasn't yelling at you because um, he was pretty creative in how he made fun of guys. He told one of our <clears throat> one of our defensive linemen one time in the meeting. we were talking earlier about, you know, you got to wear it in the, in the meeting. Well, he'd come into the big team meeting and he told one of our defensive linemen, he's like, hey, I might as well just put a pile of dog shit at defensive tackle because maybe somebody would slip in it. Um, and, and, everybody's just like, Oh dude, uh, okay. That's really funny, but I'm glad it wasn't me, you, you know, and, uh, you know, and then Pete, you know, Pete was all upbeat and positive. And then, uh, and then Belichick was just very businesslike, you know, you either do your job or you're, you're, you're fired. And that's kind of the way it worked.
1: That's interesting. Um, cause you mentioned all very different personalities, but same core values all obviously going to be hall of famers, attention to detail right uh small th- the way you do small things the way you do all things because um, you yep. played for other coaches too in the NFL did you ever see a coach that was able to win that wasn't a hyper aware hyper aware of all the little things that go into the process of winning a game
0: no man there's the, the you know the NFL man every I mean every single game and it's always so funny I know you get this question all the time. Just like I do, do you think Alabama could beat you know Jacksonville? Like, dude, you got to be kidding me! The Jacksonville Jaguars uh, are a, are a, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are a couple of plays away from winning against you know. Uh, now, I mean, they get blown out from time to time, but the Jacksonville Jaguars can beat the best team in the NFL on a given Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, and and from the the difference between the very best teams and the very worst teams in the NFL is so slight. That every single little detail has to be right. I mean, you probably know the percentage. I don't know off the top of my head, but um, you know how many how many NFL games in the course of a season? What percentage are one score games? Yeah, it's most of them. It's most yep. of them, right? You know, at the end of the season, most of the games end up being one score football games. And so now you're talking about one play in the course of a game that's going to change the outcome. Um, and in order to you know consistently win. Uh, man, there are no small details, man. They're only details and everything has to be right.
1: Yep. I always laugh this time of year, whether it's college or pro hiring cycles, when we start hearing about, oh, this guy's going to be great with the media. This guy's charismatic. Oh, he's a player's coach. He's going to be a great head coach because of these narratives that don't matter. And I'm like, well, I'll tell you, if you can let me just go watch him prepare on a Sunday night after a loss into a Monday morning, coach a walkthrough on a Wednesday morning into a Wednesday practice see how he does red zone short yardage install um, see how he organizes his film study and his notes and you know attend, like you're saying every part of his week then I'll tell you whether he could be a good head coach or not but it really doesn't have a lot to do with all the stuff you're talking about because I never played no. for a coach that one that didn't take every day de- and I always say this, everything they do Is the most important thing in the world when they're doing it in that moment it's not even details it's everything is the most important thing that's the highest level football coach as i experienced and those are the guys that win
0: people ask me all the time you know why are the patriots so successful year in and year out you know i mean they were down last year but all of a sudden now they're back on top again one of the things that they do that surprisingly is somewhat unique in the nfl is that they coach technique from the beginning of the first OTA through all the way through the season. And that's why you've always seen those Patriots teams, you know, they may have a little lull in the middle of the season or whatever, but by the end of the season, all of a sudden, they look better than everybody else. And they are so meticulous in how they teach. I remember being out there for a, uh, like this fantasy camp, where they had a bunch of accountants, which actually was kind of funny too, because you know how fun it is when you actually get to go throw footballs at non-athletes, people that can't catch them. It's, it's target practice. Yeah. Oh man, it's so funny, and you just you know you try not to hurt anybody, but it is pretty funny. But but I went out there, but I was but I was there with one of the, the with the assistant offensive line coach who was working underneath Dante Scarnecchia, and I went over to the O line section because I just wanted to go listen to what he was telling these these guys about. And he goes, "All right, I'm going to take you through what we do with all of our offensive linemen uh, the first day of every camp, and they would go through at literally quarter speed, one step at a time." All right, here's how you pass set. All right, you take this first step. Now, when you take that step, you know, you've got to to be here, but your weight's got to be on the inside edge of that left, of that outside foot so that you can come back in. But then you're going to say, and he would say they would do that with their 10-year veterans, and then they do it every single time. And so now you watch how those guys do. And, you know, you get all those years that they were winning with Tommy, that was a lot of different offensive line groups that were together. And all of a sudden he's got a bunch of time and it's not because they just went and drafted the best guy. It's because they brought these guys in and then they taught them how to play football and they do it every single day. Um, Whether it's a receiver running a route, you know, they don't just run lines on the, on the, on the paper, you know, they're like, no, you run this way and you plant your foot this way at this exact angle, your eyes go here, your heads go here. And then you, and and they they teach it, which to me, that was sort of surprising Trent, you know, Um, and I know that you've seen this forever and ever, um, you know, the players in the NFL are the very best in the world. The officials are the very best in the world. The coaches are not always the best in the world. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there are some, there's some guys that, uh, that are, that are in the, in the NFL ranks that are not great coaches. And that doesn't fly with the Patriots, man. They coach every single day.
1: Well, I'll even be meaner than you. It's not some. It's at, at times in my career, it was the majority. Um, there were more bad coaches than there were good coaches. And, and you just nailed it right there. I'm going to get my soapbox for a second. I'm watching the Raiders Cowboys a few weeks ago, and the Raiders are running split zone. And they ran it, they must have run it 18 to 20 times in the game. And the backside of the Cowboys defense didn't know how to wrong arm, didn't know how to spill didn't know how to backfill in the linebackers on split zone, the easiest, I mean, the most common run run play in all of football from high school up to the NFL. And you could tell that these really talented Dallas Cowboys players, and I liked the Cowboys this year, but they had not been taught the technique, not the scheme. They hadn't been taught the technique to stop split zone on the backside. And then I was watching the Patriots. I can't remember a week later. And a team's trying to run ISO on them and they are the linebackers filling at the perfect angle, you, you know, same foot, same arm stone in the guard. So the back has to balance it. Well, he's bouncing it to a defensive end that has both arms extended, shoving the tight end back into the hole. And I'm like, you could just see the technique pop on the Patriots defense when you could, you couldn't even see a semblance of technique from the Cowboys defense against split zone. So it is pretty amazing how the Patriots have been able to sustain this because of what you just said, that attention to detail and the
0: attention to technique, which at some levels just gets ignored. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at these guys like, well, it's not working. We'll just, we'll just get a different player and put him in there. They're like these guys are all the most talented athletes in the world. Right. Um, and, you know, if, if you know, you, you, you know, you draft a guy and, and uh, he doesn't work out. Well, I mean, sometimes it's the player's fault, but a lot of times, you bring a guy in this talented, but you don't teach him how to do it. Yeah, well, he's not going to be very successful. You know.
1: Let's get back to your career. The one thing I, I find myself talking to a lot of young quarterbacks about is um, money makes you more of what you were before you got it. And that doesn't always mean good or bad, but for me, it was small town, not very sophisticated, uh, given a lot of money at a lo- young age. I was married. Uh, we got married in college. So, I didn't handle the money very well. It overwhelmed me. I didn't, I didn't have the sophistication or the network of people to help me understand um, how to deal with, with that type of money at a young age. Did you experience a similar thing being a small town kid? You didn't play at a sec school, like off you go to Boston and they hand you all this cash. Was that, was that tough?
0: My mantra uh, now is money and alcohol reveal character uh it makes you more of you said it you know makes it makes you more of who you are you know thankfully for me i mean we you know same deal my my parents were school teachers we didn't know anything about money Um matter of fact you know you get that first check and that's i mean a million dollars is infinity money you know so thankfully i just i just i just offloaded that and good financial people to watch out for it and you know wasn't i i mean didn't know how to spend money um I figured it out later. <laughs> I
1: figured <it> out. <laughs> now, you're, now you're a pro.
0: <laughs> yeah, now I'm really good at spending it. So, you know, decided, yeah, you know, I like wine. I should start a winery. You know, that, that always makes sense. But yeah, I mean, it, you know, and for me, the way that, uh, that, that uh, I was able to navigate that, honestly, was just the ball. You know, I just, that, that, was, that was the simplest part of my life at that point was what was in the meeting room and on the football field. Um, you know, that was where I was like, okay, this is familiar everything else was completely unfamiliar, you know, in a big city for the first time, uh, you got, you know, what four or five different newspapers to, you know, to, uh, deal with. And, and, you know, you got, uh, you know, money that you don't have a clue, uh, what to do with. Um, and you got to try and handle all of that stuff for me. Um, you know, I found my refuge in, in football. Uh, and, uh, um, so that, that actually was, kind of a saving grace for me was that at the end of the day, I just got to go to the meeting and go on the football field. And that, that part, I, I, that part, I kind of knew how to do, um, the other parts I I really didn't, didn't understand. And so I didn't even try to understand them. Honestly, I just made sure I had good people around me. And, and, um, um, you know, that allowed me to get through it reasonably well. Um, I do remember though, into my, into my rookie season, you know we we uh we won our last four games my rookie season we were one and 11 we won our last four so we ended on a high note even though we were we were five and eleven but at the end of that season i got in my suburban and i drove across the country um by myself and uh went skiing in uh, colorado and utah with an old ski bum buddy but i just remember getting in the car and starting to drive and like wow that was crazy right i mean that was overwhelming right dealing with all of that stuff um and uh it was a good time for me to kind of decompress and unwind and then uh, you know i didn't tell anybody i was skiing because we weren't supposed to ski back then but i went and uh, slid around on the slopes and kind of got back to some sense of what i would call normal at that point uh and kind of unwound uh, after the season but yeah it was crazy times man trying to deal with all of the things that, that you that you deal with um as a highly drafted quarterback, uh, from a small town without much, you know, real education on how to deal with all of that stuff. Um, it was crazy. What was the hardest thing you ever went through in your career? From a football standpoint, it was when I got hurt and, and, uh, uh, and Tommy came in because I'd been the guy for eight years and change, you know, and was the, the, you know, the franchise quarterback for the, for, uh, for the Patriots. And then I get hurt and go to the hospital and You know, almost die. And then uh, what, um, what, six or seven weeks later, get a clean bill of health so that I can come back. And in the meantime, uh, the team had been playing great. Um, Tommy was doing well. He wasn't the Tom Brady that he is now. He was sort of just he was just, um, you know, just a guy at that point. Um, But I come back and uh, I'm healthy and my job's not there. That was, that was for me, was, uh, that required a little soul searching. You know, you go through all these things like, well, screw these guys, man. Like, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna retire. They can't treat me like this and, and all of that. But thankfully, I got my head straight after, uh, after a day, came back, went to work, and, you know, supported Tom, which, you know, by the way, it was easy to support him because he's a good dude. You know, if he was a, if he was a jerk, it, you know, it would have been a lot harder. Um, but that part for me was, was really a pride swallowing, you know, um, tough situation to go through where you've been this guy for this long. And I haven't been on the sidelines, uh, when I was healthy since I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and all of a sudden I'm healthy and I got to stand on the sidelines, man, that was a hard time to go through. Um, I do, uh, I do always remind people though, that, uh, when you talk about uh, the hardships of being a professional athlete, um, you, you always have to, uh, um, step back and recognize well i got to be a professional athlete um so um, we don't need to go uh, have support groups for for drew and trent um okay you know, we were getting paid to play a game um, but at the same time and it is your profession and it is something you've done for a long time and that was really really hard to deal with um you know not being the guy for the first time and you know well over a decade
1: so this man in arena things out with tom and you've been interviewed multiple times for it. Is there a funny like story that was left on the cutting room floor that didn't get shown in the documentary?
0: You know, I I haven't watched it. Um, you know, I love Tom, but I, I you know I've, I've seen the story, man. I don't I don't need to hear more about Tom.
1: I hear you. I'm the same way. I haven't watched one episode.
0: <laughs> you know, and that's not you know, and that's you know, I we all respect the hell out of Tom and everything that he's done, but you know. I, I, I'm pretty well-versed in that story. Um pretty sick of talking about him. Um, <clears throat> but I will tell you, though, that, that, uh, that um, you know, Tom always was a guy. Even the first year he was on practice squad and then uh, the next year it was actually, you know, going into that season, it was kind of a toss-up as to whether uh, Tom or Damon Heward uh, was going to be the backup. Um, and I think Damon had actually maybe been the backup, you know, the week before I got hurt. And then we had 9-11 and then came back out of that. I think I think if I would gotten hurt game one, I think Damon was the guy that would go on, on the field. You know, now we'd be sitting here talking about man in the arena with Damon Hewitt, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but but, but uh, the biggest thing I will say about about the kid, though, um, um, I remember calling. Uh, it's like I was kind of going into that maybe maybe it was his rookie year, maybe it was his second year. <clears throat> I actually called my financial advisor. I was like, hey, you know what? This kid's a good kid. He's going to be around for a long time. He's probably never going to be a starter, but this is a guy that's going to stick. Um, and I think you'd like working with him because he's just a good guy, right? Um, and my financial advisor's like, "Well, yeah, we don't really, you know, take practice squad guys. You know, it doesn't really have any money to manage anyway." Um, <clears throat> but uh, but I, I I knew that he had something special in terms of how hard he worked, uh, what a grinder he was, uh, and uh, you know. Uh, nobody would have envisioned that he would go on to be one of the best of all time. But, uh, but I did, I did know that he was going to be a guy that was going to be around just because of the way that he worked at it. So did your financial advisor take him on? No, he didn't. He didn't. I think he oh probably regrets Oh my Because he could have had some of that Giselle money to manage now, you know, if he, <clears throat> if he'd, uh, if he'd taken on Tommy. That is literally uh, but the but worst it, mistake he ever made. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's just fine. <laughs> tell me about the jerry
1: Maguire cameo
0: oh man uh, yeah so first of all so when uh cameron crow was writing the script for jerry Maguire, that was right about the time i was i was i was uh going to the draft so cameron crow followed me around for the entire draft experience um, oh, okay. and so when you uh and so <clears throat> the crazy thing for me of watching that movie was a lot of the scenes in that movie particularly around the draft and then some of the hotel stuff and you know, obviously a lot of artistic license, uh, with that or like, oh yeah, no, that was, that was from when he was following me there. That was when he was following me there. Cause he followed me around through that whole thing. Uh, the, uh, uh, probably the, the, my, my favorite funny story from, from Jerry Maguire though, is there's in the opening credits, there's a picture of our family, uh, in the opening credits and it's, it's me and mom and my brother. Well, my dad was in that picture, but they cropped dad out of it and put Tom Cruise in. And so my dad was like, oh, this is my one time to ever be on the big screen. And they cropped me out of it and put Tom Cruise in my place. And so dad's been a little bit salty about that movie forever and ever, amen. Cause it's like the one time he was ever gonna be in a movie even for a split second. And they cut him out and put in Tom in his place.
1: They must put Tom on a box or something. So you fit in. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: All right. Talk to me. Are you as impressed with Mac Jones as I am? I, I just see uh, the word I keep using is professional. He just looks like a professional playing the position at a young age.
0: Yeah, man. And, and, you know, and they're giving him a lot, you know, in terms you know. of, you know, managing motions, formation shifts, all that stuff. It's not the offense that you and I probably have when we were a rookie, where it was, they, they dumbed it down for us so that, so that we could figure it out, uh, there he's got a lot of moving pieces, and he yeah he's acting like a pro um, right away. You know he's never going to be a guy that's going to overpower you with his arm. He's not going to be Lamar Jackson. You know he's gonna go out and run around and beat you with his legs. Um, but he operates with great precision. Um, you know we uh, we talked you know just earlier about 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 Peyton and and about how Peyton managed the game, didn't knock people over with his arm, especially later in his career um but he does everything right and most importantly uh and you and i both know you know when you're a quarterback it's almost like you're a doctor you got to take the hippocratic oath first do no harm and he never makes he never ever makes the or very very rarely you know makes a mistake that hurts the team and then you know you when they're and when they're playing defense the way that they are um you know as long as he manages the game does what he's supposed to do throws it on time and never makes the big mistake, you know, they're gonna win a lot of games, you know? And uh, I remember Belichick uh, saying, uh, uh, maybe like our second, first year, second year, end of the first year, first, start of the second year that I was with him, you know, he, he would say, you know, we have to learn to play a certain way. Yeah. And And what he meant by that was that, and you see it with them all the time, and it's been maybe one of the biggest keys to their success. Is they never lose games. And I remember Belichick saying, first we have to we have first we have to learn how to not lose games. And so you watch them play, they're never the one that they, they never make the play to lose the game, but the other team does. And they just wear you down and wear you down with execution uh, game in and game out. And Mac is doing a great job with that. Uh, I was back there a couple weeks ago, got to say hi to him, talk to him for a second, but I talked to Kraft a lot about him. And and they've all been extremely impressed with exactly what you said is professionalism, the way that he works at the game, the way that he prepares. um, And, uh, you know, I think he's going to, he's going to, he's in the right place for himself um, with a great organization and they're building around him. um, But I think he's going to be a good player for a long time.
1: Yeah. Amen. All right, I, don't, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to hit three more things. I'll let you decide how long you talk about each one. Number one, coaching high school football and coaching your sons. Uh, I want to talk about the wine because you know I'm probably your biggest fan. Have been basically since the launch, um, and then just your
0: family. And you can take that any direction you want. Um, yeah, I want to hit those yeah. three things. And go. You know the the coaching thing, and I know that you, um, you know, you're officially now, you know, coaching. Uh, at, 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 but you've been coaching for a long time with the Elite 11, with all the quarterbacks and, and, and all of that stuff. And, and I think the thing that uh, that impressed me most, the first time I brought my son John down there, I think we are in Oakland, uh, and I got to hear you talk to the guys. And I, I just came away so impressed because when you talk to the guys, you talked about character. You talked about all of the non-throwing, non-physical parts with these guys that have all the physical parts because they're they're there. Um, and I came away so impressed with, uh, with how you had approached that with those guys. And for me, you know, coaching high school football, um, you know, we did win. Um, but winning was like just the happy side effect of talking about character, work ethic, uh, execution, you know, being a good teammate, being a good person, you know, being good in your community, being good at home. Um the winning becomes the the kind of the, the side effect of that because you get to teach these guys lessons in a football environment uh, that are hard to teach outside of that environment um, And they're things that they carry with them forever and ever. And you know, for me, now the uh, the, uh, the 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 reward that that I get now from those guys is that a lot of these guys now have graduated college and they're working, um, and they'll come back and they'll talk about things that they learned on the football field that are now important in their lives. Uh, and coaching my kids, you know, it was also, <clears throat> it was also cool because there are certain things that you can say to your own kids, your own, my own sons, uh, in a football environment that you maybe can't say around the dinner table. Um, and, uh, you know, impart lessons to, uh, to, to my, uh, my sons and to their friends. Um, you know, in a football environment that you can't necessarily, uh, uh, you know, maybe say in another environment. So I just think it's so important, Trenton. And then it's, you know, I know football has been under attack for a long time um, and it doesn't have to be just football. It's whatever you, you know, when you're a part of something where you're part of a team and learn what that's all about, whether that's the band or whether that's drama or whether that's you know another sport but being a part of something like that is so important and you know that mentor role that you and i are blessed to be in with these kids is so important and so gratifying um you know and and, and for at the school that we were at you know there were you know there were you know a lot of kids that, that went home and had two parents and, and had a pretty nice life at home but there were a lot of kids that didn't and so this football environment and the coaches you know, that becomes their family. <clears throat> and when you see those kids that maybe didn't have a positive male role model in their lives and they go on to uh, to have success, man, it's the most gratifying thing I've ever done. And I, um, you know, my dad did it for 30 plus years. And I told him after like two years in, I was like, oh, yeah, now I understand why you did this. You know, now I understand why these kids that I didn't know anything about all of a sudden um, were sleeping at our house, you know, a couple nights and uh, having dinner with us. I didn't understand then. Now I do. And for me, one of the selfish thing that I did uh, with these guys was every year when they would graduate high school, I would bring them over. And I started keeping notes, I don't know, 15 years ago, just like on my phone. I would just write little notes, things I wish I knew when I was a kid, things I wish I knew when I was 18. So I call it the rules <clears throat> and I've written it down. Some of them are funny. Some of them are real serious, really serious. But on the back side of that was a gift certificate for a bottle of wine when they turned 21. And but the, the the selfish part and i know you'll appreciate this is that they have to come see me to get their bottle yes. of wine yes. and so they turn 21 they're a senior in college maybe getting ready to go to work they got to come back and see me and i get to catch up and hear about what's going on in their lives man and that's when we really get the reward you get to see you know what that impact is uh, that you had on them um down the road that's
1: incredible well you you segued yourself to the wine Um, for those who don't know, Drew has started a winery that is as good as any winery there is in the country. Um, his double back label, as well as other labels he has are incredible. Uh, he's blowing up, um, wine specter, uh, spectator just rated him really high. I I, I read this recently, Drew, so I'll let you brag on the winery, but more importantly, what did you, uh. What lessons did you learn in football to help build this
0: wine empire? You know, it's been really gratifying, uh, Trent, and, and this is, and this kind of ties back to, to coaching and what, what you and I've had the privilege to do um, is that a high level lo- at, at a, at a, high level at a 30,000 foot level, quarterbacking a football team and running a business are the same thing. They're the, they're the same, the same things that, um allowed the good teams that I was on to be successful are the same things that allow our business to be successful. Um you know we talked earlier about there there are there are no small details there are only details with like we literally compete at every single aspect of our business. You know it's things like uh you know dealing with adversity like we talked about earlier you know I mean shoot going through the last 2 years where we've all dealt with incredible adversity um our team stepped up and and excelled you know dealing with uh, the adversity you know it's dealing with conflict within the within the team and like just all of these things um that go into being a successful football team um translate directly into business probably the most meaningful part for me though um over the past couple years um is that we've made we've we've embarked on this sustainability initiative which you know that's a big word you hear it thrown around a lot um the obvious part is you know being sustainable with the environment and we do a lot of things on that front um you know we try to create ecosystems in the vineyards where um, you know we encourage you know a natural environment rather than having to use pesticides and herbicides and so on and so we don't have to spray because of the environment we create but the more meaningful part has been the people sustainability piece of our business um you know our business is rooted firmly in two things great land and great people but on the the people sustainability part we now have our own farming company where you know most farm labor um, particularly in northern climates is is seasonal um, where you know farm workers will come on the work for six seven eight months and then they gotta they go back home um, well we now have this group of ten people that work for us full-time they have retirement benefits and health benefits they're the highest paid Farm workers in the Northwest, um, and for the first time, they have some stability in their family lives. Um, and um, you know, Josh, who's our winemaker and CEO, he and I, you know, we did that because we think it's the right thing to do. You know, we want our we want our moms to be proud of us, and we want to be proud of the guy looking at us when we brush our teeth in the morning. But the cool thing that we've discovered um, in embarking on this this initiative. And taking care of the land and taking care of our people is that we actually produce a better product because of it now these farm workers now these farm workers who forever had just been contract labor bouncing around now they have a real connection to our land and to the vines that they take care of and they take they treat them like they're their own so our vineyards look better than everybody else's and now all of a sudden oh We've got better fruit because we take care of the people and take care of the land. And so it's been honestly, it's been really, really gratifying to learn that doing things the right way and doing things from a pure, um, you know, just do the right thing perspective have actually produced a better product. And that part we're really, really proud of because it's like, okay, we're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing. But doing the right thing actually ends up with better juice in the bottle. And now we're like, man, that's such a great win. So that, that part's been really, really gratifying.
1: That is awesome. I'm so glad you had the chance to talk about that. I, I had no idea and I fall double back pretty closely. So that's, that's incredible. All right. And our last moments, Mara and the kids brag on them. Give them the shout out. <laughs> oh talk man, you Uncle know, I, we've,
0: we uh, we are, uh, um, we are uh, uh, empty nesters. Um yep. Healy was our youngest, off to college, and all of a sudden now we're we're trying to get used to that. Although my wife did go shopping today because all the kids are coming home, and she's like, "Wow, it's the first time I had to actually really fill up a shopping cart in quite a while." Um, so that's been an adjustment. Um, two of the boys actually have jobs, if you can believe that. We got two no off the way. payroll, yeah, real jobs. On, like you're not we paying got, the
1: Amex anymore.
0: Well, let's not get carried away. But <laughs> they, they, they never, they, they never, they never really leave. But uh, so yeah they're they're both uh down in uh, uh they're actually both down in san diego uh Stu, our oldest got a job or got a, a degree in wine business um so of course i was thinking he'd come back and go to work for the family biz but of course he's working for an internet startup um because why would oh. you come back and work for dad naturally uh, and then and then uh john's working in commercial real estate um henry just got back from studying abroad in spain um wow. and uh he uh, <clears throat> of course, was really, really missing us, so we had to go visit him.
1: Um, yes,
0: and uh, and got to take my folks over there to go uh, to go visit him. And then uh, Healy, our daughter, is at Colorado College, uh, and uh, she's playing basketball and lacrosse at uh, Colorado mm-hmm. College. And so we got to go. Uh, we've been able to watch her play some hoops, and she's doing well and having a lot of fun. So yeah, the kids are all good. You know, if you're only as happy as your least happy kid, um, so far, so good, man. Uh, but uh, and then. Um, you know, my wife still likes me most of the time. It's kind of that. <clears throat> I feel like if she's happy with me about eighty percent of the time, I feel like I'm winning. If she was happy with me a hundred percent of the time, then uh, you know I'm just not trying very hard. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's life is good, man, and we're uh, we're uh, enjoying the freedom that comes with uh, with uh, being empty nesters and have a lot of fun.
1: That's incredible. All right. Well, in this way. You're a better high school quarterback than me. You're a better college quarterback than me. You're way better pro quarterback than me. You're probably a better coach than me, but I have this on you. You have to turn 50 before me. So you turned 50 in February, correct?
0: I'm I'm in March. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know how to feel about it. You know, shoot, man. When we were, <laughs> when we were young, 50 seemed, 50 seemed ancient uh, and now oh my I'm like, God. like 50 is the new 30, you know?
1: No, I interrupted you. But I shaved the other morning or trimmed, and I looked down in the sink, and there was no black hair. It was all gray, and this is the only hair I have, Drew. So, like, I try to take care of this, and now it's all gray and old. I feel broken and old, my man.
0: I know, man. I know, but it sure has been a good run so far, man. I'm looking forward to the rest of it too. But it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. How blessed are we, you know? How blessed are we, man? We get to, uh, got to be. Uh, uh nfl quarterbacks for a long time um uh, you know great families and and uh, uh and now get to uh you know get to go back and, and put it back out there coaching kids and, and uh you know trying to trying to put positive stuff into the world man it's uh it's been a blessed life and and uh i never take it for granted man and i know you don't either you know it's uh it's really been a hell of a run and 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 I'm enjoying it and looking forward to the next chapter, you know, it's uh, trying to see what's around the next corner and, you know, who knows what that's going to be, but it's, um, it's all been, it's all been a good run so far and, and uh, uh, man, I sure appreciate it. Awesome.
1: Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the pod and uh, man, just respect you so much. So thanks so much, Drew.
0: Likewise, man. Love you. And uh, look forward to uh, getting out there to Nashville and pouring some wine for you and your friends out there. And by the way, uh, 100% appreciate the support. Um, I know you, uh, I know you buy a ton of wine from us every year and, and, uh, always appreciate it, bud. Yeah. Deal. I can't wait for you to come out. All right. See you, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.
1: And again, thanks to our friends at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today.